Hi everyone, this is Spencer, lead producer at Leetail Studios. I'm so happy to be able to bring you a preview of our newest podcast, Agents of Change, hosted by our very own Danielle O'Neill. Agency life is constantly changing. From client requests to industry regulation, it can be challenging to stay on top of the best practices and trends. Leadtail invites top agency marketers to discuss how they're facing these challenges, the best practices they use to stay on top, and where they see agencies and marketing trending in the years to come. And here's the great news. You can already find this podcast live with four full episodes available on our YouTube channel, as well as leadtailtv.com. In this episode, we interviewed Braden Madsen-Jones, Performance Marketing Manager at Refine Labs. He joined Danielle O'Neill to discuss product messaging, building an ICP, and customer research. From a marketer's perspective, I mean, you you have to you have to be able to visualize and be able to communicate and articulate the story and the narrative behind the data such that an executive is going to, you know, care <laughs> about it, right? So like, why what is this data telling us? And then why should we care about it? Welcome to Agents of Change, a podcast about the future of B2B marketing, featuring insights from executives at top agencies. I'm Danielle O'Neill with Leadtail. Let's hop on in. I'm so excited to welcome Braden Matson-Jones. He is the Performance Marketing Manager over at Refine Labs. Hey, Braden. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Excited to dive in. Us too. So I know, Braden, you've got a long history. You've got a lot of background um, really working with organizations on demand gen, a lot of SaaS marketing, very heavily digital marketing focused, and even revenue growth, which I know is something that's very important to our audiences, especially as we look towards what's coming next in technology and really how marketers can utilize that technology. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation today. Awesome. So first, let's talk about old grading. So I know in seventh grade, you wrote a paper on how marketing is really kind of bending the truth, shall we say, to sell more. Um, so looking back at it now, how do you focus your work so you're not disappointing your seventh grade self? Yeah, I, I love this question. And it's funny that I did a speech in grade seven about how advertisers lie and here I am working in marketing. It's funny how the universe works, but yeah, I, I think, <laughs> no kidding. Um, I think where this starts, right. Is like, just because there is a common practice doesn't mean that it's acceptable or ethical or what we should do. And I think the industry is at a place to a varying degree where a certain amount of manipulation or bending of the truth or arguably unethical practices are kind of commonplace. And so the first thing is that I think in order for us to evolve as an industry, the responsibility is on marketers and marketing leaders to not tolerate uh, at any extent of approaching marketing with this idea that we can deploy um, tactics that, that attempt to kind of catch people or manipulate people by by bending things a little bit. And so I think that's the first thing is that it, it's everyone's responsibility. Change doesn't happen um, in, unless this starts from, from the top down and the bottom up. The second thing, though, is that really what this indicates, I think that if you find, I strongly believe that 
pushy sales and having to kind of bend the truth in your marketing is not a marketing problem, but actually a, a first and foremost, a product deficiency. I think often in many cases, if you find that you have to deploy some of these things, it could just be that, that your marketing is missing the mark or you're not doing it the right way as per your audience. But I think in many cases, it's actually a product deficiency. And I strongly believe products should be in the marketing house. I think that products should sit under marketing. It's one of the four P's classically. And so I think that is often the place to start here with this question. Yeah, no, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, we've all seen it um, within different organizations that we've worked with. You know, it's really important. You tell the truth about the product and good marketing can make that product stand out more. Um, without having to exaggerate on what the product's capabilities are. So with that, you know, online reputation is a huge part of that as well. And it's an enormous part of where marketing is today. So how do you help your clients really craft their messaging so that you're avoiding that gap between the claims and what they can actually deliver? So kind of like we were just talking about with truth in marketing, truth in product. 100%. So I think really where this starts is fully adopting a buyer-centric model and encouraging our clients and customers to do the same thing, which means that the foundation here is understanding what your ICP, your persona, however you're defining that, what that person, what those people care about, what their needs are and how your product and service actually solves that problem or meets that need. And so I think there's a few different tactical ways to do this. I mean, one of them is talking to your sales team. The The amount of insight that is often in the minds of other human beings is incredible. And I think we're often biased to quantitative data and there's nothing wrong with that. But often there, there, are, there are people in an organization who have tons of gold inside of their head, but it's never going to come out if you don't talk to them or ask the right questions. So in that vein, customer research is a huge one. So you can survey customers in in a large amount, or you can pick, let's say five or 10 of your happiest customers and and talk to them. There's a lot of great templates and resources out there for customer research, but that's another one. And then there's something like Winter, for example, which is a tool that allows you to actually target vetted ICP segments with something like a homepage or messaging and get immediate feedback when I say immediate, I mean within you know 24 to 72 hours, feedback on what that is so that you can hone the messaging. But really, that's the foundation of it is you have to actually dig into the buyer perspective. And the only way you're going to do that ultimately is engaging with other humans, even if it's virtually. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, when we're thinking about getting that that client response um, and really better understanding how do they feel about our product. How often do you tell your clients to perform that, that input check, if you will, to really reach out and see how they're feeling, what their thoughts are, and more importantly, how are they using your product? Yeah, I think there's a, a few variables here. I mean, one of the things that comes into play is where a particularly in the case of SaaS, it's usually very saturated and competitive. And so I think establishing feedback loops where if we're able to vet the messaging that's that's in market, and so gathering data on how, say, certain creative angles or themes are performing, 
and then using that as a feedback loop to inform the next round is is a tactic that that I think can be really useful in certain cases. But ultimately, when it comes to a product that is sitting in uh, a certain category, you want to be able to, to to look at that full context. So if you don't have, if if a customer or client can't really clearly articulate in a sentence or two how we serve the needs of a well-defined set of people the best out of all of the other options, then that that's going to be the problem right there. And it's not that you shouldn't spend money on, on advertising in that case. I would just say that if that foundational piece is not there first, you're, you're not at all setting yourself up for success in the future. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree, which actually leads to our next point. Um, you had something in your profile that I just absolutely loved. You said marketing is communication at scale, and so it's only as good as the quality of the communication. So how do you define that quality communication? Yeah, I, I love this, and it's it's hard, right? Because, I mean, communication is is comes in many different forms. So when I say that marketing fundamentally is communication at scale, it doesn't just mean it could be in the form of what we're doing right now. It could also be a, a billboard is communication at scale. A digital ad is communication at scale. You know, text message marketing, which I personally can't stand. All of those things are communication at scale. And so really for me, this comes down to a few main things. Number one, it's that the message that you're conveying actually resonates because you understand your customer, right? So, I mean, that really is is the first piece. But number two is that it is relevant to your business, right? So, I mean, obviously, if you are selling T-shirts and you, you could put a message in front of people that's super relevant, but if it has nothing to do with what you're selling or offering, then that's not quite going to land. The way that I love to say this is that Bad marketing says things that are untrue to people who don't care. Good marketing says things that are true to people who are indifferent. And great marketing says things that are true to people who care profoundly, right? So it's about understanding those things first. And again, I think I define quality as meeting those parameters. So again, number one, it's aligning with who you're talking to. And number two, it's aligning with you as a brand and your brand narrative. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And agree with that. And, you know, another kind of point to think of that too would be the fact that great marketing is also that more one-to-one, that siloed, I know exactly who I'm speaking to. I'm not trying to speak to an entire audience. 100%. Trying to be everything to everyone is being nothing to no one, Right. right? Yeah. And I, I do think as marketers, we tend to get stuck in that a little bit of just how do we convey our message to five ICPs as opposed to really trying to hone it down to one. And so that's where that communication style really will come in. You know, we're talking about audiences and really how we focus on it. Um, digital ad tech is really audience focused. And so, you know, it's almost become a little bit more difficult for us to, to uh, deploy those campaign strategies in digital marketing. Um, so as you kind of alluded to in a LinkedIn post with all of this, so how do we use digital advertising and organic social in addition to other channels, for instance, um, for a campaign approach, given how much of this and how much of this really relies on technology? 
Yeah, hundred percent. And I, I love that you called it that post there. And the, the, the message of that was essentially that ad tech, I think has destroyed the meaning of the word campaign, which is historically has meant a unified message that you're pushing to a market with, with, with a clear thesis, right? Like you want your target buyer to hear something and resonate with something. But now campaign really means just like, you know, a LinkedIn campaign or Google ads campaign. And so there's an equivocation of those two words. It is a huge problem. But I think where I would start here is that message comes first, distribution comes second. So we want to be clear to delineate between strategy and tactics. And so the fundamental thing that you're trying to communicate to the market, that message, that is the, the base layer. Assets and tactics are built on top of that, right? So you use the, say, social channels like LinkedIn ads to deploy that message in the form of assets at scale. But that distribution strategy and those tactics are built on top of the foundational message and core thesis that you actually have in place first. Insofar as organic working together with paid, one of my favorite things to recommend here is to, as we all know, for the most part, organic reach has just gone down over the last few decades. There are places like TikTok or I post an occasional Instagram reel that gets thousands of views and I get excited and then that's it, right? For the most part, reach just kind of <laughs> has declined. Um, in fact, my mom's cat videos get, get more than me, but for the, <laughs> she, you know, she, she's not paying for any ad spend, right? Which is unfortunately the position that most a lot of companies are going to be in because of the, the lack of organic, organic reach. But one of the great things to do here, it's really simple is essentially if you have an organic strategy, right? Which if we just take LinkedIn, for example, let's say you have a VP of sales who posts a few times a week about sales and things that resonate with other VPs of sales, et cetera. A post that performs particularly well on LinkedIn, you can take that and then you can utilize all of the campaign manager targeting and infrastructure to then deploy that organic content and just amplify it with paid budget. You could think of this as boosting. That's what Instagram kind of used to call it, except that in this sense, we're actually just taking the ad creative as an organic post and everything else is the same. I think when you combine organic and just use paid to amplify the message, that's where you really get awesome engagement and scale out of that. The piece that I would tack on here too is that I think there's a delineation between brand marketing and, and demand marketing. I think that with an organic strategy, I mean, there's, it's kind of a meme at this point when you see a LinkedIn company page posting things that gets no engagement and the CEO's like, well, why? Well, I mean, the answer is for the most part, company page content is really us focused and people just don't engage with that. The second thing is, the bar is way higher when you are an entity, not a human being. We engage with creators and humans, right? So I think of organic primarily as using that for brand marketing primarily. There's nothing wrong with occasionally promoting your product, but I really believe that organic should be used from a brand perspective to build that trust and affinity and then amplify that with paid. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and it's funny, I actually just had a conversation um, with a client about this and he was just asking how come the same post I posted on my page had three times the amount of impressions and engagement versus the exact same post that was on the company page. 
And so it's that conversation of a human posting it versus a company page posting it. It means a lot more coming from you than it does from the company. And so this is, you know, the importance of why you kind of have both engines running, but seeing it in real time, I think it, it almost helps make it more real. It really drives home our point, I think, you know, once they can kind of visualize it on their own. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, you don't know what you don't know. And as soon as right. you have something to compare, X2, <laughs> well, then once you have that comparison, it's crystal clear. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, knowing kind of the difference here that you were just talking about of coordinating both of these programs when you've got your paid and then your organic to really amplify that message. Um, another part that comes along with that are those data silos and how you can separate those data silos and really start to drive the difference in in almost how we how we organize things and really how we're taking an approach. Um, so we know, as all of us sitting here watching this and having this conversation, these silos really are the bane of our existence. So how do we separate these two? Yeah, this is a really key one for a lot of different reasons. So I mean, there's a few different kind of rabbit holes we could go down here, but I'll try to touch on <laughs> I mean, well, even just the word data, right? So I think I'll, I'll try to be as actionable as possible for people. I think the first part of this is just like grounding ourselves in reality. Like what is data? The word gets thrown around a lot, but I mean, data is a collection of facts. That's all it is. Data can be quantitative, or qualitative, right? So our revenue is a million uh, or was a million last quarter, for example. That's a thriving business. That's quantitative data. Qualitative would be we did a survey and found that the words overpriced came up a lot in the survey, right? So that's data. Now, I think the the, the first, aside from the, the those those key definition uh, definitions, the foundation of this actually, I think, begins not with data at all, but with business use cases and issues, which then become questions, which then become data. So what I mean by that is when you work this way, where you're focusing on business use cases and issues first, Silos are less likely because teams will communicate and coordinate around things that matter to the business as opposed to just having data over here and over here. So, for example, you might have an HR department who, if I'm in HR, there's a myriad of data and data sets that I could pull. I mean, it's just data galore. But as soon as I align my team and potentially other departments on okay, what matters for the business in this quarter, this next couple quarters, et cetera, then you derive questions from that. So if you, if you think that employee churn or hiring, retention, one of those things is really key to a business, then you derive a question from that. So for example, what was, is our churn, employee churn rate increasing or decreasing? Maybe you decide to get some qualitative data because you ask, are people... Are people really stressed here? Are people not motivated, et cetera? And so when you start with business issue, then you drive a question or set of questions from that. The data then becomes designed to answer the question. And that's a really, really key way, I think, to think about that process. The second thing I'll say on this front, or I guess third thing or fourth thing at this point, is that data has a a life cycle and the analytics process itself also has a life cycle. And I think in a lot of businesses or cases, silos happen when people aren't clear on what that looks like. I mean, data goes from 
uncaptured to captured, then cleaned, then processed, uh, visualized, shared, and then most crucially, or arguably most crucially at the end, acted upon. And when people and teams are aligned on what that process looks like, plus you're starting with business use cases and questions, I think that that is going to have a really big impact on the number of, of silos you're going to have. The final couple of points I'll just add on this is that uh, the having dashboards and, and, and reports, single sources of truth, truth built out for maybe in, in, you know, in, in large enterprise companies, it might be per department, maybe in SMB, it's going to be closer to across the organization, but having a place where you look first, as opposed to having, you know, 10 different dashboards with a whole bunch of different report cadences, et cetera, is another just specific tactical piece there that can really help you. But I think those would be the, the main pieces. And I hope that's, that's helpful for, for people. Yeah. And you touched on something that I, I kind of want to go back to just for a second is when we're talking about the collection of data and getting all this information, that last part, the action on the data. You know, I, I know we've seen a lot. I'm sure you've seen it a lot. We get the information, we get the data, and then it's just, it stops there. No action taken. Um, so what, what advice would you give to marketers that are sitting there going, we have this information, we know what customers are saying, we know where the problem is. So now we've got to take an action on this, but maybe they're getting pushback from executive leadership or some other teams to say, okay, we've got it. Now we're moving on. Totally. So I think I'll answer this from the perspective of, of a marketer and then maybe a marketing leader, because I think that the, the roles are importantly different here. From a marketer's perspective, I mean, you, you, have to, you have to be able to visualize and be able to communicate and articulate the story and the narrative behind the data such that an executive is going to, you know, care <laughs> about it, right? So like, why, what is this data telling us? And then why should we care about it? And why does it have the power to tell us what we should do and be able to have and craft that narrative that is actually impactful to the business? I mean, it's great capturing and visualizing data, but I mean, if, if, if the story is kind of meek at best, then it's unlikely that people are really going to listen to it. But from a leadership perspective, this really comes down to baking this philosophy across the organization, particularly as a marketing leader, specifically, what I mean is the acting on data needs to be as equally as important as every other part in the analytics process. We, you cannot have a mindset that, okay, we stop at graphs. I love graphs. I mean, if you came up to me on the street and I didn't know you and you said spreadsheets, I'd get very excited, but the, like that, but it, it can't stop there, right? And this, and this is, this is an organizational kind of top down philosophical thing that I think we really, we, a lot of us can do a better job of baking in the act part to this, um, this, this concept and this, this life cycle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you really hit the nail on the head with that one that it's got to come from that top down in order for it to to have the action coming from the information resolved. You know, so as we're thinking about this data and we're pulling all this information, we know the marketers, along with our demand gen teams, we're really focused on that conversion tracking. Um, but how do we do attribution now the cookies are going away. There's a lot of, okay, so what next? 
Yeah, and I it's funny thinking about the kind of golden era of marketing where which is ultimately the reason that people hate marketing because they don't like feeling followed around the internet, but I mean at the same time cookies made our lives so much easier. So from a attribution perspective, I mean anyone who knows Refine Labs can probably guess my perspective on this and that's not for um, erroneous ideological reasons. It's, it's the reason that I work there is because I believe that attribution is imperfect. But to be very clear, you know, I've never, I don't take a, a hard line on either side. There are people who I've seen post on LinkedIn who will, who shall go nameless, who say things like self-reported attribution is a hoax. And then there are people on the other side who say, you know, software attribution is, is useless. And so I think we, you know, we have to be careful to be very reasoned and grounded in our approaches to these things. And so the the shorter answer here is that I'm a big proponent of what we refine call hybrid attribution, which is essentially combining software attribution. So whether that's GA, um, Salesforce attribution, HubSpot, or something like HockeyStack or Visible or Dream Data with self-reported attribution, where we just ask people to openly tell us on high intent conversions, how did you hear about us? And compare those two. And the insights you get from that are really, to a varying degree, extremely useful and interesting. Because if someone hears about you on, let's say, this podcast, then they go directly to your domain, every platform is going to say direct. I mean, because platforms can't see in other people's heads, right? And so when the person says, they're usually going to report the most impactful thing. And so self-reported attribution, you know, I'll go on record as saying it's not perfect. Nothing is, but I would, I firmly believe that it's more directional than software. But when you combine the two, you really get, get a lot of robust data there. Um, and so that, that's what I would say on the attribution side, as far as cookies are concerned. Yeah. I mean, we've been seeing the biggest impacts for the most part are on from a remarketing or retargeting perspective. Those audiences are just getting smaller. And so I think the biggest tactical shift here that we're going to have to start making is relying on platform side versus website side. So what I mean by that is building audiences based on platform level engagement as opposed to your website. So for example, in LinkedIn, you can build audiences for video uh, watchers and people who engage with your single image ads. That is the one of the best proxies for kind of recapturing the intent that remarketing historically would have done. Um, but, and then the other piece here is there are some solutions depending on the platform, like Facebook has a conversions API, and there is a way that you can with Zapier, for example, send funnel events from Salesforce to Facebook via server via Zapier, which uh, was a project that I just worked on. And that, that can be something that's really cool because then you can actually send things like contracts signed back to Facebook. And so there, there are tactical implementations, but there's also a lot that's, that's uh, a bit left to be seen from this perspective. I mean, it's relatively predictable, but I'd say like remarketing audiences for the most part, those are never going to look the same. Yeah. To your point, you know, it's very different than five, seven years ago when everything was remarketing, yeah. retargeting. <laughs> it was so easy to do. <laughs> Those days are gone. So now we have to be a little bit more creative with it. And, you know, I love the idea of thinking more platform focused as opposed to overall messaging focused or even just website focused. You know, how can we attract our audiences on LinkedIn? Because it's going to be very different 
attribution than going to Twitter or Instagram, you know, wherever it is. Um, and we all tend to get caught in the overarching message as opposed to where that message is being seen. And so those are all great um, so Brayden, what are you working on right now that is exciting to you? What's, what's a big project that you have happening with any of you, your clients at Wakan Labs? Yeah. So one of the, the things I'm excited about is continuing to really help customers with the revenue R&D approach that we're taking at Refine, which essentially operate, operate, operationalizes, I can barely say that word, your revenue engines designed to take tactics from testing to fully integrated, which is something I've struggled a lot with in my career, right? And I literally just posted a meme about this, which is like, basically, give, give marketing tactics time to show their worth and be able to say if they're not working. So that's something I'm really excited about. We also have a lot of great um, content insights being published in our vault product, which is a warehouse of all of the learnings and the, the data and things that we get with working with a ton of high growth B2B SaaS companies. And so I'm writing some pieces for that as well. So that's another thing. And then I just love, I love learning as well. So I'm just kind of brushing up on my analytics skills, diving into some SQL and ideally R at a certain point. And Tableau has this website where, what is it? I think it's visualization of the week. And I just spent so much time nerding out on there because there's just, <laughs> it's, it's awesome. So yeah, lots, lots of good stuff. I saw the meme that you referenced and I was laughing. Oh, nice. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> it's so true. Like, how's that marketing effort going that we launched 12 days ago? Exactly. So yeah. I need more time. Yeah. yeah. What is the ROI on that blog? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, Brayden, thank you so much for taking time to sit down with us today. Thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you, talking to you, learning from you. Um, so hopefully our audiences will too. Um, we will make sure to drop your info so everybody can reach you for any questions that they have. That's awesome. Yeah, feel free to connect on LinkedIn. Just don't pitch slap, but I do accept all connection requests. Um, but again, yeah, if you pitch slap, I will just I will just ignore you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you, bud. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. This has been great. Thanks, Greg.